Hey, everybody, and welcome into episode 59 of Jake's Take. I'm Jake Heller. Appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Hope everybody is having an awesome weekend. First and foremost, happy Mother's Day to my mom and all of the wonderful moms out there. I would not be the man I am today if it wasn't for my mom. So, mom, I thank you, I love you, and pray for many more happy and healthy years to come. Lots to cover on today's show. The latest with the Aaron Rodgers rumors that have been going on. Recap of Kansas Speedway and previewing throwback weekend at Darlington Raceway. I know it already started last night with the Truck Series race. Crazy Truck Series race at Darlington. First win of the season for defending series champion Sheldon Creed in that awesome Team ASC throwback tribute to not only Jason Leffler, but Jimmy Spencer as well. Those are the two guys I think of when I see that paint scheme. So the latest with Aaron Rodgers is this past Tuesday, about 12.30 in the afternoon Eastern time, Mark Schlereth was on Colin Coward's show on Fox Sports 1, The Herd, and Mark himself won three Super Bowls. The first was in 1991 with the Washington Redskins, and the other two, 1997 and 1998 with the Denver Broncos. And Mark was on the show and said that the Denver Broncos were close to finalizing a trade for Aaron Rodgers. Now, this all goes back to Thursday, the week before, Thursday morning of the NFL draft when Adam Schefter from ESPN, when he broke that story about the San Francisco 49ers, that mega trade that they were willing to give to the Green Bay Packers in exchange for Aaron Rodgers, the third overall pick, Jimmy Garoppolo, but Green Bay put their foot down and said, we are not getting rid of Aaron Rodgers. But the latest I have found out is the reason why Aaron Rodgers wants out of Green Bay is their general manager, Brian Gutenusk. And the latest is he has told his teammates, he's told several people, that the only way he will return to the Green Bay Packers is if they fire Brian. Now, how childish is that? That's like that, that, that's like a 14-year-old kid in high school. Well, it's either me or him. Make up your mind. That, like, that is such high school childish drama BS right, right then and there. And this all stems back to the NFL draft last year when the Green Bay Packers, when they traded up from 30th to 26th to draft quarterback Jordan Love. And apparently, Brian Guttenus did not call Aaron Rodgers that night to let him know that they were taking a quarterback. In comparison, Friday of last week, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Bruce Arians and Jason Light, when they decided that they were going to take Kyle Trask from the Florida Gators in the second round, they called up Tom Brady and they said, hey, Tom, we just want to let you know we're taking Kyle Trask from Florida. We just want to make sure that we have your blessing. And obviously, Tom was like, yeah, go right ahead. James Jones, who's on NFL Total Access, who was a part of the Green Bay Packers when they beat the Steelers in Super Bowl forty-five. James is a good person, but when he is on NFL Network, he is the biggest Green Bay Packers Aaron Rodgers homer there is. And Thursday night, he was saying, oh, this isn't the Aaron Rodgers that I know. He's usually not like this. Bull, James, come on. Aaron Rodgers always makes it about himself. And this is just the latest example. 
saying, oh, I'll only return to the Green Bay Packers if you fire the general manager. That is so freaking childish right then and there. And I think it just validates what I believed all along about Aaron Rodgers. He might be one of the most talented and one of the most gifted quarterbacks in NFL history. But when it comes to being a person, there's no other way around it. He's a prima donna and a prick, plain and simple. And this is almost the same situation that happened in 2008 when the Green Bay Packers, when they forced Brett Favre into retirement. Brett did not want to retire, just had an amazing season in 2007, just like Aaron did in 2020. You almost go to the Super Bowl, losing in the NFC Championship to the eventual Super Bowl champions. This case, it was Eli Manning and the New York Giants. And they forced Brett into retirement when he didn't want to. A few months later, he has a change of heart. He wants to play. Green Bay wants to move on with Aaron Rodgers. And ultimately, there were two teams that were interested in Brett Favre. Obviously, one of them, as we know, was the New York Jets. The other one was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They sent Brett to the New York Jets. Why, you ask? They're in the AFC. Green Bay's in the NFC. If you sent him to John Gruden and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, you're sending him to a conference rival that you know is going to beat you. And that's almost the same scenario that I see playing out with Aaron Rodgers. You know, for the longest time, Matt LaFleur and Brian Gutenusk, they were saying, Aaron's our quarterback. Aaron's our quarterback. We're not getting rid of him. Now, all of a sudden, they realize the end is near, and they, they're going to have to trade him. And sure enough, the two teams that are in the running, supposedly, are the Denver Broncos and the Las Vegas Raiders. Once again, John Gruden, he has all of these Green Bay connections going back to the early 90s. And when Gruden was on Monday Night Football from 2009 to 2017, we all know about the Aaron Rodgers obsession that he had. And the pieces are definitely there in Denver. And this isn't a knock on Drew Locke. Uh, rhyme there. But obviously, that would be a considerable upgrade to get a Super Bowl champion and a three-time league MVP. And obviously, if... Somehow, some way, he ended up on the Las Vegas Raiders. As much as I love Derek Carr, that's, a, that's an upgrade as well. I mean, obviously, the pieces are there on the offensive side of the ball. Defense, they definitely need to work on. And we know with the Denver Broncos, ever since Peyton Manning retired in 2016, it's mainly been the defense outperforming the offense. The offense has been very, very pedestrian, no matter who the quarterback has been. It's like Kyle Williams said, it's crazy how the Denver Broncos, they want to get all these quarterbacks at the end of their careers, like Peyton Manning, now like Aaron Rodgers. But I'm going to tell you this right now. The NFL schedule comes out on Wednesday evening, May 12th at 8 o'clock. Be sure to tune in to NFL Network and ESPN2. If, somehow, some way, from now until Wednesday, that the Green Bay Packers... If they trade Aaron Rodgers to the Denver Broncos or the Las Vegas Raiders, I guarantee you that's who the Dallas Cowboys will be playing on Thanksgiving, November 25th. Think about it for a second. Aaron Rodgers getting traded to either the Denver Broncos or the Las Vegas Raiders. They're both going to be at Jerry World this year. But who's the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys? Mike McCarthy. 
And when Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy, when they won their one Super Bowl together, Super Bowl 45 against the Pittsburgh Steelers, where was it at? Jerry World. AT&T Stadium. The storyline is too good to be true. Too good to be true. Like I said, Aaron Rodgers versus Mike McCarthy, they won a Super Bowl together. Their relationship deteriorated from that point out. That is a storyline too good to be true. No matter if Aaron is a Denver Bronco or a Las Vegas Raider, you can friggin' book it that that will be the 4.30 Thanksgiving matchup November 25th if Aaron Rodgers gets traded. Because we all know there's two guarantees on Thanksgiving. The Detroit Lions, they'll play at 12.30. The Dallas Cowboys, they play at 4.30. I mean... That would be a ratings bonanza right then and there. So I'm really looking forward to the schedule release. And I'm going to make a few bold predictions right then and there. As we know, the 2021 NFL season will kick off Thursday night, September 9th, the NFL kickoff game. The Super Bowl champions, they always host that game. The lone exception was the Baltimore Ravens in September of 2013. They share the same parking lot with the Baltimore Orioles. The Orioles, they had a game in town that day, and there were so many conflicts, they had to move the game to Denver. But come September 9th, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I have a feeling that they will be hosting the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL kickoff game. And and I mean, think about it for a second. I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, but to me, there is no team... Probably probably the team you can make the argument that is more popular than the Pittsburgh Steelers is the Dallas Cowboys. That star, that blue star and that silver helmet is one of the most iconic images in all of sports. And there is no team that generates more ratings and more attention than the Dallas Cowboys. Like I said, think of it. Tom Brady, all of those years with New England, goes to Tampa. They win a Super Bowl in their own stadium. Dak Prescott, you're the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. You're coming back from a gruesome injury and a brand new contract. Storyline's too good to be true, I'm telling you. So my predictions for the 2021 NFL schedule, like I said, the NFL kickoff game, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Dallas Cowboys. For Thanksgiving, I'm going to say for the 1230 game, it'll be the Detroit Lions hosting the Baltimore Ravens. 4.30, I'm going to say the Dallas Cowboys hosting either the Denver Broncos or the Las Vegas Raiders if Aaron Rodgers gets traded. If if he doesn't get traded there, let's see here. The home opponents this year for the Dallas Cowboys, the most obvious ones, New York Giants, Philadelphia Eagles, Washington football team, that's who they played on Thanksgiving last year, Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers, Arizona Cardinals, Denver Broncos, and Las Vegas Raiders. So for the moment, I'm going to say Cowboys-Broncos for the 430 game on Thanksgiving. I think Denver has more of a shot at landing Aaron Rodgers than the Raiders do. And then for the nightcap, the 830 game on NBC, what could have been a possible Super Bowl matchup, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Buffalo Bills. Those are my predictions for the 2021 NFL schedule. And like I said, I will have a special show sometime next week previewing the 2021 NFL schedule. Myself, Josh Manley, Jason Boone, 
it's definitely going to be an awesome show. So this past Tuesday, the one question we kept wondering for months and months and months, where is Dale Earnhardt Jr. going to run his Xfinity race at in 2021? Early Tuesday morning, we finally got the answer. Now, remember about a month or so ago when I talked about Dale Jr. tweeting to Richmond Raceway saying, if you guys have any tickets for your Xfinity race in September, let me know, asking for a friend. I told Sean Rosansky right then, or both of us were like, dude, he's definitely going to run the Xfinity race at Richmond in September. Well, Tuesday morning, sure enough, Junior Motorsports, they made the announcement that Dale Earnhardt Jr. will be getting back behind the wheel of his number eight Chevrolet Camaro September 11th at Richmond Raceway. And that's the thing, September 11th. Obviously, this year especially, the 20th anniversary of the terrorist attacks that occurred, the World Trade Centers in New York, the Pentagon in Washington, D.C., and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Dale Earnhardt Jr., ever since he retired from full-time cup racing at the end of 2017, he does these one-off Xfinity races every year. And the sponsor has always been Hellman's. And Hellman's is a member of the Unilever family. Well, Unilever, they have a very, very, very special initiative called United for America. This paint scheme that Dale Earnhardt Jr. is going to race September 11th at Richmond is absolutely beautiful. It's a blue and white number eight Chevrolet. And in the press release, Dale Earnhardt Jr. said, it's hard to believe it's been 20 years since that terrible day. The spirit of unity and togetherness our country felt on September 11th is just as relevant now as it was then. I'm honored to be driving this car and champion, champion, yeah, championing Unilever's United for America program. And obviously United for America and Unilever, they've been doing a lot of things, especially in the Carolinas this past year with COVID-19. So ever since Dale Earnhardt Jr. retired, the Xfinity races that he ran in 2018, don't forget, his lone race in 2018, it was the September Xfinity race at Richmond. And that night, he started second. He took the lead. He dominated that race. He won the second stage of the race. Matter of fact, he, he chuckled as, as he took the, the green and white checker. He said, that's the first stage win of my career. <laughs> Led 96 laps on the night. Looked like he was well on his way to winning the race. And unfortunately, some things just didn't work out towards the end of the race with all the cautions the pit stops, the restarts, and ultimately he had to sell for fourth behind Christopher Bell, Ross Chastain, and Daniel Hemrick. But Dale Earnhardt Jr. has been competitive in these one-off Xfinity races. 2019, he finished fifth at Darlington. And then last year, Homestead Miami Speedway, he finished fifth in that race as well. This past Tuesday on his podcast, once the announcement came out that he was going to be doing the September 11th Xfinity race at Richmond, he hinted on Ask Junior that he would still like to do short track races, mainly. And he said for his Xfinity race in 2022, he definitely wants it to be Martinsville Speedway, like he originally intended for this year. But obviously, himself and his sponsor, Hellman's, they had some scheduling conflicts. Nevertheless, probably the best story of the Xfinity season so far, in my opinion, Josh Berry winning at Martinsville Speedway in that number eight Chevrolet. But hey, look out for Dale Earnhardt Jr. when we get to Richmond in September. Seven total wins at Richmond. Three in the Cup Series, the spring race of 2000, 2004, 2006, 
and four Xfinity wins at Richmond, the fall races of his championship seasons in 1998-1999, 2002, his first race as a car owner in the NASCAR Busch Series, him and his stepmother Teresa, when they revitalized Dale Earnhardt Incorporated's Busch Series program, Chance 2 Motorsports. That's how Martin Truex Jr. got his big break. And the spring race of 2016, Dale Earnhardt Jr. winning at Richmond in his own equipment, that number 88 Hellman Chevrolet. So he's definitely going to be a factor at Richmond in September. Myself and Sean Rosansky, we even said it that we would love to take a trip down to Richmond in September to see him race. I mean, hey, some of those tickets for that day, the cup race later that night at 7.30, the Xfinity race in the afternoon at 2.30, tickets for 60 bucks for two races in one day? You can't beat that. And who knows, I mean, who knows how many more of these opportunities myself and Sean Rosansky might get to watch Dale Earnhardt Jr. race. Later that afternoon on Tuesday, Pocono Raceway announced 100% capacity for their doubleheader weekend, June 26th and June 27th. And I cannot wait to get back up there. I went ahead and got my tickets in the early part of March, early to mid-March, because at that point it was only just 20% capacity. I figured might as well get these now before they're sold out. And Atlanta Motor Speedway, Friday of last week, they were the first track to announce that they will have full capacity for their July 9th through 11th race weekend. A couple more others, full capacity coming up. Daytona, the regular season finale, August 28th. Darlington, when we go back there for Labor Day weekend. And Kansas Speedway, October 23rd and 24th. So definitely definitely some light at the end of the tunnel. It's pretty surreal to think that it was last year, this weekend at Darlington, when NASCAR was making its return, the first major professional sport to make its return after the world was stricken with COVID-19. And I think NASCAR, regardless, has done a remarkable job. And it definitely feels great that we're starting to get back to normal. So last weekend at Kansas Speedway, the truck race on Saturday night, it was decent to say the least. And I say decent because when Kyle Busch is in a truck race, it's pretty much a foregone conclusion that that he's going to win. But the race itself wasn't really all that entertaining aside from the restarts. And without a doubt, the two drivers that were the most fun to watch last Saturday in the truck race at Richmond, one of them was Ross Chastain, starting all the way back in 34th. But the other one that really impressed me the most was Haley Deegan. I know that she got off to a bit of a rough start, her rookie season in the truck series, but to be running in the top 10 and finish 10th in the second stage of the race, I think that she is definitely showing some improvement. But Ross Chastain driving all the way from the back of the field all the way up to finish second behind none other than Kyle Busch. I mean, man, what a what a restart at the end of that race that Kyle had, especially with all the transmission problems that he was having. The restart when the restart all right, so when Jennifer Joe Cobb, when she stalled with about five laps to go, and that set up for, I mean, a crazy, crazy finish. Kyle did not get going on the restart. He fell from first to fifth. Ross Chastain inherited the lead. But we had that wreck going down into turn one 
with Stuart Friesen and the 19 of Derek Krause. I cannot believe how Kyle was able to charge all the way back on the outside to win that race, the 61st of his truck series career. I mean, it was a great finish, but it made up for a pretty, pretty lackluster race. So to no surprise, Kyle Busch won. Ross Chastain was second. Austin Hill, Christian Eckes, John Hunter Nemechek, the top five. Todd Gillen, six. Zane Smith, him and him, him and Sheldon Creed, they had an excellent battle for the lead. I know Zane was sort of kicking himself. The lane choice that he made at the end of the Kansas race, he was seventh. I know Sheldon ran into some tire issues and finished 32nd. But Raphael Lassard was eighth. Johnny Sauter, ninth on his birthday. And Ben Rhodes ran out the top ten. The truck race last night, though, at Darlington Raceway. Holy crap, was that one for, <laughs> for the ages. John Hunter Nemechek was on the pole. That's who I picked to win. Austin Sen- or Austin Hill excuse me, was starting alongside him. And, I mean, early on it was looking like John Hunter was going to walk away with another one. But we definitely were not lacking for, <laughs> for entertainment whatsoever compared to the week before. I mean, we had some crazy moments, whether it was Cody Rohrbaugh in turn two, Stuart Friesen and Carson Hosevar down in turn one, and John Hunter, I was going to say Todd Gillen, Todd Gillen, winning the very first stage of the race. And Todd had a great run going for most of the night before running into some trouble and finishing 15th. But for the most part, him and John Hunter Nemechek, they definitely asserted themselves as the two favorites to win this race. The problem I had with this race was just so many laps wasted under caution. But I think the one that impressed me the most last night was Carson Hosevar, 18-year-old rookie at Darlington after the trouble that he had early on, how he was able to fight his way all the way back up to finish third in that 2002 Johnny Benson Valvoline paint scheme. But the big one, on lap 119, we had John Hunter Nemechek and Corey Heim in his Truck Series debut for Kyle Busch Motorsports. I know John Hunter sort of spun the tires and Stuart Friesen sort of pushed him into Corey Heim and it all hell broke loose from there. I mean, you had Austin Hill, Tyler Ankrum, Zane Smith, who had a great shot to win. Spencer Davis, John Hunter, obviously with the best truck. David Gillen, rare one-off appearance. Chandler Smith, so all Kyle Busch's trucks. And then, of course, the Thor Sport trucks, whether it was Matt Craft and whether it was Grant Enfinger. Timothy Peters, that beautiful Bobby Hamilton throwback was actually voted the best truck series throwback and it took about 12 minutes for them to clean it up then subsequent restart parker kligerman blows a tire and crashes himself and stewart Friesen. so you have another caution and it was looking like ben rhodes after all the trouble that he had that he was going to inherit another win and danny bone that michael waltrip throwback the country time throwback, spinning in turn two. And, I mean, it was just caution after caution after caution. Sheldon Creed just had an amazing restart, how he got by Ben Rhodes going down into turn one. And, honestly, that was my favorite truck series throwback, was the Team ASC, Jason Leffler, Jimmy Spencer throwback. So it was only fitting that Sheldon Creed went to victory lane last night over Ben Rhodes Carson Hosevar, like I said, career best third in the Johnny Benson throwback. Matt Crafton and Grant Enfinger rounding out the top five. Johnny Sauter sixth. 
Timmy Hill, the 1997 Kenny Irwin throwback. John Hunter Nemechek, after leading 65 laps and winning the second stage, he was eighth. Austin Wayne Self, ninth in the Tony Raines Pennzoil throwback. Jordan Anderson, South Carolina's Jordan Anderson, in a Mark Martin throwback to his future father-in-law, Larry McReynolds. That was Larry's first gig as a crew chief. Jordan got a top 10. Ryan Truex, 11th. Ryan Reed taking over the 24 car. Rafael Lassard, the 24 truck. Rafael Lassard announced on Tuesday he's sitting out the rest of the season. Not because of COVID, but because of sponsorship issues. Austin Hill, 13th. Tyler Ankrum in the Ricky Bobby 26th throwback. Todd Gillen, 15th. Zane Smith, the Glenwood throwback. Eric Darnell, first NASCAR race in nine years, finishing 17th. Danny Bone, Timothy Peters, Haley Deegan, who wrecked on the last lap. Bailey Curry, Spencer Boyd, Corey Heim, Jennifer Joe Cobb, Stuart Friesen, Parker Kligerman, Chandler Smith, David Gillen, Spencer Davis, Tate Fogelman, Dawson Cram, BJ McLeod, Tanner Gray, Akinori Ogata, Derek Krause, the Michael Waltrip 2003 throwback, Chase Purdy, the Davy Allison throwback, Norm Benning, Cordy Robaugh, Chris Wright, Kevin Harvick throwback, Corey Roper. That was the field last night at Darlington. Last Sunday at Kansas Speedway, Brad Keselowski and William Byron on the front row. Excellent battle those two had early on, but Kyle Larson, all the way from 32nd up to the lead, 64 laps in. And both Kyles looking like their old selves. Kyle Busch, for instance. I mean, he was starting ninth, but how he was able to get around Kyle Larson and to win the first stage of the race, but there was no doubt in my mind, Kyle Larson had by far the best car last Sunday at Kansas Speedway. From 32nd all the way up to the lead, leading 132 laps on the day. And Kyle Busch, Brad Keselowski, they were definitely his toughest competition. But the thing with Brad was he had a great short-run car, but not a great long-run car like Kyle Larson had. But the race itself, just like the truck race, it was kind of dull more than anything. I mean, really, the only major incident throughout the day early on was when Alex Bowman got into Bubba Wallace and Bubba hit the wall. And for as much as I was praising Alex Bowman, oh, Kansas is one of his best tracks. He didn't crack the top 10 once this past Sunday. But nevertheless, the guy that did impress me the most, Austin Sendrick in that fourth Penske car, just his fourth Cup Series start, he ran inside the top 15 most of the day before Ricky Stenhouse Jr. pinned him in the wall late in the race. The problem with this race was... Tyler Reddick, Tyler was another one that had a great run going. He ran in the top three a lot on Sunday when the tire rolled away. And it was sitting in the middle of the grass, and NASCAR waited and waited and waited until the sequence of pit stops was complete, and they threw the caution. And that, from that point on, then all hell broke loose. Denny Hamlin, he had a car that was capable of beating Kyle Larson. He hits the wall and then blows the tire. And then, like I said, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and Austin Cindric on the backstretch. But then, when it seemed like Kyle Larson, when he had this race in the bag, Christopher Bell losing it in turn four and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. plowing into him and Ryan Priest getting collected. What I don't understand was Kyle Larson, all day long, he was great when he restarted on the bottom. 
he decides to take the top. I know that Kyle Busch had just gotten around him on that restart. But why would you take the top knowing you're good on the bottom and knowing you have a better shot to go three wide and get around Kyle? Why would you take the top? And sure enough, him and Ryan Blaney, the two of them getting together with two laps to go. And Kyle Busch going on to win on his 36th birthday. Second time in his career he's won on his birthday. He did it at Richmond in 2009, tying Cale Yarbrough. Cale won twice on his birthday, 1977 at North Wilkesboro, 1983 at Atlanta. So weekend sweep for Kyle Busch on his birthday. 58th win of his career, Kevin Harvick on those fresh tires, came all the way back up to finish second. Brad Keselowski, the pole sitter, led 72 laps on the day he finished third. Matt DiBenedetto, fourth. Chase Elliott, fifth. Martin Trex Jr., 6th. Tyler Reddick overcoming that penalty to finish 7th. Chris Buescher, 8th. William Byron, 9 consecutive top 10 finishes. Austin Dillon rounding out the top 10. Daniel Suarez, 11th. Denny Hamlin after that flat tire, 12th. Michael McDowell, 13th. Ross Chastain, 14th. Kurt Busch, 15th. Ryan Newman, 16th. Joey Logano, who raced with food poisoning, 17th. Alex Bowman, 18th. And after Kyle Larson getting into Ryan Blaney, Kyle faded to 19th. Chase Briscoe was 20th. Blaney was 21st. Austin Sendrick, 22nd. Anthony Alfredo, 23rd. Cole Custer, 24th. Eric Jones, 25th. Bubba Wallace, 26th. Corey LaJoy, 27th. Christopher Bell, 28th. Eric Almarola, three laps down in 29th. What a disaster, I'll tell you. Justin Moneymaker Haley in 30th, BJ McLeod 31st, Ryan Priest 32nd, Garrett Smithley 33rd, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. 34th after that late crash, Joey Gase, Cody Ware, Quinn Huff, Matt Mills in his cup debut, and Josh Balicki. That was the field Sunday at Kansas Speedway. Before we get into Xfinity, on a personal note, speaking of William Byron, nine consecutive top ten finishes. William Byron did announce on Tuesday night that his mother is currently undergoing treatment for a brain tumor. And especially with this being Mother's Day weekend. So really quick, William Byron, this was what he tweeted on Tuesday night. He said, a few weeks back, while my mom and dad were in Martinsville, my mom started to have numbing in her right arm. Shortly after, it was hard for her to speak, and she was having a stroke-like event. They were able to get care to her and transport her to the local hospital shortly after. Through, through further testing and scans, doctors discovered she has a mass located near her brain. She was transported to Atrium Health in Charlotte and received care from numerous doctors, including one who was a dear friend of our family. Through a few days of testing, it was discovered she has a lymphoma that is rare but treatable. Malt lymphoma. The cancer is localized and the brain tumor is on the left side. Treatment is planned for her and she is starting soon. Byron continued to say that his mom is in great spirits. She has had so much support from her family and friends. It's been really warming to see <clears throat> to see all of the support that people have for her. Byron also said that he loves his mom so much and they have been able to spend time with her at home as well as at the hospital throughout the last few weeks. She's a fighter and knows that the process will not be easy, but she has a great support group and 
His dad has been there every step of the way. It's changed all of our perspective on life in a short time. Thank you for your prayers and support in advance. We are thankful she is in good hands, and we will continue to be with her as she fights through this. And I'll tell you, <clears throat> I'll tell you, it would definitely be very, very heartwarming to see William Byron win tomorrow on Mother's Day for his mom. I mean, such such a great, great kid. So in just a little bit, the NASCAR Xfinity Series will be having their race for the weekend, 1 o'clock on Fox Sports 1. And pacing the field will be Dale Earnhardt Jr. in his father's Chevy Nova. The number eight GM Goodrun Chevy Nova that was built in Ralph Earnhardt's garage in Kannapolis, North Carolina in the early 1980s. And this morning, as he drove down to Darlington Raceway, he took two of his uncles that built that race car. His uncle Danny Earnhardt, as we know, Danny was had a huge part of Dale Sr.'s career and Dale Jr.'s career. He was the front tire carrier for Dale Jr., his Bush Series days, his Cup Series days, right up to about 2006, 2007. And he's been working for Junior Motorsports ever since then. And his other uncle, Robert G. Jr., they helped build that car in the early 1980s in Ralph Earnhardt's old garage. And it's going to be so cool to see Dale Jr. pacing the field. On the pole is A.J. Allmendinger, his throwback to his first Cup win in 2014 at Watkins Glen. Starting second is Austin Sendrick. Third is our Talladega winner, Jeb Burton, throwing it back to Dad Ward's 1995 MBNA paint scheme. Justin Moneymaker Haley in fourth, tribute to Blake Cook, his 2014 Leaf Filter Gutter Protection Scheme. Noah Gregson ninth, Riley Herp sixth, or yeah, Noah Gregson fifth, Riley Herp sixth in Tony Stewart's 1999 rookie paint scheme. Daniel Hemrick in seventh, Harrison Burton in eighth, throwing it back to his dad Jeff's 2006 Holiday Inn paint scheme. Brandon Brown in one of Dale Jarrett's UPS paint schemes. Myatt Snyder in 10th, throwing it back to his grandfather. Ryan Sieg in 11th, Jeremy Clements 12th, another Dale Jarrett UPS throwback. Brett Moffat in 13th, Tommy Joe Martins 14th, Rich Bickle 1999 throwback, that purple 45 car. Timmy Hill, the Duraflame Rusty Wallace paint scheme that Jamie McMurray won with in 2004. Justin Allgaier, Dale Earnhardt Sr.'s 2000 Taz paint scheme. David Starr in 17th, the Richie Evans Orange 61 tribute. Jade Buford, he has the Dan Gurney 48 throwback. Landon Castle, 19th. Michael Annette, 20th, the 1979 Daryl Waltrip, Gatorade throwback. Beautiful looking car. Josh Williams, Brandon Jones, and Todd Bodine's 2006 Truck Series Championship paint scheme. Alex LeBay, 24th is Josh Berry and Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s 2001 MLB All-Star Game throwback paint scheme. Obviously, that was a paint scheme Dale Jr. ran at Daytona in July, the first race back to the track after his father's death. Colby Howard in 25th, Kyle Weatherman 26th, and a Richard Petty throwback. Brandon Godovic, 28th, is Jeffrey Earnhardt, and he is running his grandfather's 1996 Olympics paint scheme, that red, white, and blue paint scheme. Beautiful. 
29th Ty Gibbs, the 1992 Dale Jarrett Interstate Batteries throwback. Joe Graff Jr., Jesse Little, Matt Mills, Ryan Ellis, Ryan Vargas, J.J. Yaley, Tanner Berryhill, Gray Galding, B.J. McLeod, Bailey Curry in the 1981 Bobby Allison, Gray Ghost throwback, and Matt Jaskell in 40th, throwing it back to Mike Skinner. So looking at the field here, the Burton kids, their dads were phenomenal at Darlington. Jeff, he won there about four or five times. Ward won there twice. Brandon Jones, he did win the September race here last year. But ultimately, when it's said and done, I'm going to take the number nine of Noah Gregson. Noah really likes these abrasive racetracks where you have to run right up against the fence. And Boone, Jason Boone, is going with Daniel Hemrick for his first NASCAR Xfinity Series win. Moving ahead to tomorrow, on the pole is the number two of Brad Keselowski, the 2018 Darlington winner, but Brad will be without crew chief Jeremy Bullins. On Thursday night, it was announced that he cannot go to Darlington because of COVID protocols, so Grant Hutchins, who's the engineer, he will be the interim crew chief. So obviously, Brad Keselowski, his chances of winning tomorrow are shot before we even begin. Starting second is Kevin Harvick. Kevin won two of the three races at Darlington last year. They haven't unveiled his throwback yet, but it's mobile one. I am praying it's his 2002 silver and black GM Goodrange paint scheme. Starting third is Kyle Busch, who won at Darlington in 2008. M&M's 80th anniversary paint scheme. Martin Trex Jr., 2016 Darlington winner. Martin is throwing it back to his Furniture Row days, that Matei Black paint scheme. Starting fifth is William Byron in the 1987 Neil Bonnet Valvoline throwback. Sixth is Chase Elliott, Alan Kowicki's 1992 Hooters throwback that ironically beat his father Bill for the championship. Denny Hamlin in seventh. Three wins at Darlington, paying tribute to Jack Johnson. Eighth is Matt DiBenedetto. Ninth is Austin Dillon, Fireball Roberts' 1959 throwback. And tenth is Tyler Reddick, the Marty Robbins throwback. Eleventh is Chris Buescher, Joey Logano in twelfth. Joey paying tribute to Mario Andretti's first Formula One win in 1971. Michael McDowell, Bill Elliott's 1985 throwback. Kyle Larson in 14th, a tribute to his... His sprint car days when he was a kid. Daniel Suarez in the Camping World throwback. Ryan Blaney, his late model paint scheme when he was coming up through the ranks. Kurt Busch in 17th. Ross Chastain in the Jimmy Spencer McDonald's throwback. Alex Bowman in 19th. Tribute to his crew chief Greg Ives, the paint scheme that he had when he drove race cars. Ryan Newman in 20th. Christopher Bell 21st. 22nd, Chase Briscoe and A.J. Foyt's 1986 throwback paint scheme. Bubba Wallace, 23rd, the Wendell Scott paint scheme, that beautiful light blue paint scheme that Wendell had, obviously a, a trailblazer for African-Americans in NASCAR. Cole Custer, 24th, Mother's Day tribute to Gene Haas's mother, Margaret. Anthony Alfredo in 25th, Alan Kowicki's old Hardy's paint scheme. Eric Jones, very, very special paint scheme. He won the iRace on Wednesday night, the 1999 John Andretti STP throwback. 
And obviously, this is very special since we lost John last year from colon cancer, and Eric's father, Dave, passed away in 2016 from cancer. Eric Amarola in 27th, throwing it back to Mark Martin, his 2000 Winn-Dixie throwback paint scheme. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. paying tribute to Ricky Craven, his 2003 Tide paint scheme that he won at Darlington with. Ryan Priest in 29th, his crew chief Trent Owens, the paint scheme he had when he raced in the Trek Series in 2002. Corey LaJoy, Alan Kowicki's 1989 Xerox throwback. Justin Moneymaker Haley in 31st, the Fraternal Order, Fraternal Order of Eagles. They were the ones that actually invented Mother's Day. B.J. McLeod in 32nd, Cody Ware 33rd, J.J. Yaley 34th, Quinn Huff 35th, the John Andretti 1997 RCA paint scheme, James Davison throwing it back to fellow Australian Dick Johnson, and Josh Balicki in 37th, the Lenny Pond 1978 throwback. So, tomorrow, when it's all said and done, I have to go with the number 19 of Martin Trex Jr. Martin has always been phenomenal at Darlington, going back to the days when he drove there in the Bush Series for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Top fives right off the bat. He clinched his first Bush Series championship there in 2004. And Martin dominated the Southern 500 last year. That was won by Kevin Harvick. Had the race won until him and Chase Elliott got together, and they both hit the wall down in turn one. So I'm going with Martin Trex Jr. Boone is actually going with his teammate Kyle Busch. He thinks the momentum is going to continue. So quick recap. For today, I'm going with the number nine of Noah Gregson. Boone is going with the number 18 for Daniel Hemrick, his first NASCAR Xfinity Series win, hopefully. And for tomorrow, I'm going with the 19 of Martin Trex Jr., while Boone is taking the 18 of Kyle Busch. That's going to do it for episode 59 of Jake's Take. I appreciate you guys tuning in once again. Special show coming up next week, previewing the 2021 NFL schedule, and then another show previewing Dover International Speedway. Have a great day. Y'all take it easy.